I'm supposed to be the franchise player, and we're in here talking about practice. Having a 37-year-old in Cincinnati. And all the only thing else I got to say is, how about them Cowboys? Yeah! Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up to the layup. Oh, blocked by James. Episode 46 of the DNC Podcast, Friday edition. No Thursday night football, but we had some great baseball last night. Braves are up 3-1. ALCS, Tampa up 3-2. Underdog alert. How's your Friday going, man? It's going great. You know, I, I think I think when you look at this series uh, or just even the playoffs in general, if you're a Dodgers fan, you just have to be disappointed again. I, I don't, you know, we, we've talked about this uh, many times. I, I don't know what else the Dodgers have to do. I don't know what their front office has to do. When you have Cody Bellinger batting sixth, you have Mookie Betts, Max Muncie, Justin Turner. I mean, Kershaw, Bueller. Their bullpen is far improved. I, I I would be super disappointed. I think the most alarming thing to me is, you know, your bats were struggling game one and game two. You put up 15 runs, game three. I think you had, what, 12? That was insane. 12 in the first inning, something like that. And then you follow it up with a two-run performance and you give up 10 to Atlanta. And yes, Atlanta has some hot bats, but you're the team that's been here before. I'm pretty sure Atlanta's a team that what got blown out by I think St. Louis last year in the playoffs. Um like unsub, you know people thought Atlanta may, may, might make a deep run and then they got just absolutely annihilated by St. Louis and so the Dodgers are the team that's been here. They've dominated all of the short and regular season and to possibly go out like this um I don't know what to say. And then I think when you look at the Tampa situation one of my buddies shared a really interesting stat with me. Garrett Cole, the pitcher who was on Houston last year and had the record deal versus the Yankees, his salary alone is higher than the eight starting infielders for the Tampa Bay Rays, and yet they're up 3-2 on Houston, who in a lot of people's mind is, besides the Dodgers, probably the best roster in baseball. And I love that stat, and the reason I love that stat is because I love underdog teams. I like teams that really should have no shot. And if you if you just on paper look at the the Rays and the Astros, the Astros should be up in this series. And they and they honestly could be if if there's I, I believe it was game three, Houston had that game and the Rays came back. So this series could look different, but nonetheless, it yesterday, I mean baseball fans have got to be tied. It's like that fly that you can't kill. That's how I feel the Astros are right now because everybody wants them to lose. Like, unless you're an Astros fan, outside of that fan base, there's nobody that wants them to win. And the fact that Carlos Correa hits a walk off yesterday in the bottom of the ninth, here's the cool thing. He told manager Dusty Baker, walking up to the plate, he just goes, walk off. He called his shot. That's look, you can hate the you can hate the Astros, you can hate Carlos Correa. A lot of people do. But the absolute swagger to walk up to home plate knowing you're going to hit a walk-off and then do it, you got to love that. That's that's what's going to help baseball get back to its glory days. The glory days of the Houston Rockets might be over. I don't know. Daryl Morey, the GM, stepped down yesterday. He's been there since 2007, Dustin. And he was kind of like the Billy Bean of basketball. He was an analytics guy that really didn't have a basketball background, but got hired. And look, I think that analytics are great. I think having that information is super vital, but I'm not a huge fan unless, you know, when you look at the Oakland A's, because it's a smaller market, they don't, they're never going to have the payroll to go out and get big free agents. So in that case, you know, use what you can to your advantage to try to get an edge on the competition against bigger brands like the Red Sox or the Yankees. Or in this case, you got the Lakers and the Celtics and the Sixers. Try to put yourself in a position where you can be competitive. And so what do you think going forward for this franchise, this is going to mean, do you think he'll be a GM again in the NBA? What are your thoughts? Yeah, well, first, I want to give Daryl Morey a lot of credit because what he did in Houston, although they didn't win a ring, when you look at who he was playing against and the teams they were playing against, I don't think you can say anything, but he did a really successful job. I mean, they were playing. I mean, he brought in Chris City. Paul. He like continually yeah. brought in guys. It was amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's not just, you know, the money ball aspect or the fact that he's, you know, was the originator of the small ball ball lineup or 
shooting more threes than any other team in NBA history. He brought in a lot of people. I mean, initially the trade for Harden. Like nobody thought Harden was ever going to be the player he eventually turned into being. And maybe Daryl Morey never knew he'd be that level of talent, but he knew he could be a number one scoring option. He also brought in CP3. Westbrook, uh, they signed Dwight Howard, who at that time was choosing between Houston and L.A., and to be able to get Dwight at that time, who was still, yes, coming off of a minor back injury in L.A., but everyone thought he was still prime, prime Dwight at that time. So to get him, he hasn't, like, missed. We've seen a lot of teams try to get free agents and miss. He got them. They didn't obviously work out as well as he wanted to, but he also went up against a historic Golden State Warriors team where if his team doesn't miss 30 plus threes in the second half, they make the NBA Finals versus LeBron and Cleveland. And that would have been a really interesting series. And so I think he did a really good job. I think it's kind of like LeBron's Finals um, record once Golden State got to where it was at that he was just happened to play in a really hard error where there was other really dominant teams and his team just wasn't as good. Yeah, you can't if you go back to the 2018 playoffs, I mean, unless CP3 goes down, Houston's probably in the finals. And they beat a historic Golden State team. So sure. you you really can't you can't look at his tenure in Houston as a failure. It wasn't. I mean, he did a great job. Houston was really irrelevant before James Harden got there and you know, I've given you so much credit. Not that you thought Harden would be at the level that he is today or be seen as the player that he is today. But I remember back when that acquisition was made, you were like, man, I like this move. And I was like, I don't really know what James Harden is because he was coming off the bench in OKC. He was a high draft pick by the Thunder, but he wasn't utilized in a way that made me go, okay, that guy can be a true number one. And you kind of saw that before it happened. So so big props to you. One thing I did kind of see happening was Ty Lue signing a five-year deal with the Clippers to be their next head coach. I know Chauncey Billups is expected to be a candidate to join the staff, but I know he's also currently involved in the Indiana Pacers search for a head coach. So that would that's going to be an interesting thing to look at. But if you guys don't know, Tyron Lue won the NBA championship in 2016 with LeBron with the Cleveland Cavaliers. They made three trips to the three straight trips to the NBA finals. Um you know, he's 128 and 83 overall as a head coach, 41 and 20 in the playoffs. So what are your thoughts on this move? You know, I'm not super surprised by it. He spent, you know, the last year with the staff. He was an assistant head coach to Doc Rivers. So he knows those players. He feels comfortable. I, I think it was the right move for them. I'm not a huge Ty Luke guy. I think he's essentially Doc Rivers on a level, or you could say maybe even like a Steve Kerr, where he's going to have, you know, he's kind of ridden the coattails of LeBron. He's, he's, he coached his one head coaching job. He had, you know, an elite team. And so, you know, I think in the NBA coaching matters if in the, you know, in the case of the Miami heat with Eric Spolstra, where he's, you know, putting those young guys in position to maximize their talents. But when you have a team like LeBron, Carey, Kai Love or Kevin Love and other guys like that, you know, you kind of have to manage the team. You're not necessarily a big X's and O's guy. And so in this case, um, he might have to be a little bit more so because I don't necessarily see Kawhi Leonard and Paul George as elite basketball minds. I think that they know the game. Of course, they're professionals, but they're not a LeBron James, where LeBron James is a coach on the floor. So it's going to be interesting, but what are your thoughts on this move? Yeah, the Tyloo one is interesting for me. I mean, any former LeBron coach, it's really hard to gauge if your first experience was with LeBron. Um, we look at a guy like Mike Brown, who I thought was a tremendous basketball coach when he was coaching LeBron in Cleveland, and then he goes to the Lakers, and everyone was like, oh, he's not that great of a basketball coach. And I think where you completely killed it was the biggest job for Ty Lue is going to be managing the personalities. And let's be honest, the Clippers have a lot of personalities in that locker room from Patrick Beverly, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard. Montrez Harrell. not a vocal guy, but you can't like always tell what's going on in his head, and so... That's kind of an interesting dynamic as well. And so what Tyloo wasn't able to do, and I don't put it all on him, but he wasn't able to keep that Cleveland team together. I mean, the reality is Kyrie demanded a trade the year after they made the finals. And to me, that's just interesting because it looked like the Clippers were a team that kind of imploded from within and Doc Rivers wasn't able to handle those personalities and make adjustments. And so 
it's kind of an interesting hire. I thought they may go with a guy like Sam Cassell, who's been on the staff for five or seven years. He's never got a head coaching job, but everyone has always alluded to the fact that he's a great basketball mind and he's like the next guy up. But I think to your point, everyone expected Tyloo to be the guy. For me, it doesn't really change anything. If you brought back Doc Rivers next year or you have Tyloo, I still look at the Clippers um, the same way. So coming up on the pod today, we're going to talk about our pretenders and our contenders in the NFL through five weeks. We're also going to talk about the most interesting matchups for week six. But before that, I mean, we got to get into Le'Veon Bell and the Jets. I mean, nothing spells tanking more than releasing Le'Veon Bell and not firing Adam Gates. <laughs> I mean... Do they want Trevor Lawrence or do they want Trevor Lawrence? They want Trevor Lawrence, a hundred percent. We we were talking about this, and I think I think the way we laid it out was really was really good. I know we're biased, of course, but when you decide to get rid of Lev Bell, and 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 let's just let's just I want to for for just a quick second, I want to idle right here. People that think Lev Bell doesn't know how to play football or he's not as good as he once was. Sure, you can make the argument that he might not be as good as he once was, but this is a guy that is an elite talent. So don't allow the analytics or the fantasy guys to tell you that Lev Bell forgot how to play football. Because I think this is where, when we're living through this fantasy era, where it has made people that don't know football see football or players in a negative light. And with Le'Veon Bell going to the Jets, anybody that had gone to the Jets, even if it was Saquon Barkley or Zeke, it doesn't matter. Whoever you think the top running back in the NFL is, they're not going to be good. Or at least statistically, they're not going to look like they're good. You have a really, really bad offensive line. You have a bad play caller. You have a bad culture. You have a bad organization. So it's not Le'Veon Bell, right? Now, again, I'm not saying it's 100% on the Jets, right? But this is a really bad situation for Le'Veon Bell. Now, now that I got that out of the way, this whole situation with the Chiefs is really interesting to me because I think in theory, this sounds really great on paper. You're like, wow, people are calling them the Golden State Chiefs, right? Alluding to the Golden State Warriors when they acquired Kevin Durant. Now, unless you think Le'Veon Bell is Kevin Durant equivalent on a football field, which again, for the last two seasons, people are acting like this guy can't play football. Now all of a sudden he goes to Kansas City and he can play football again. It's kind of perplexing. However, I think when you when you start to look at Andy Reid as a play caller or Andy Reid as an offensive mind, because I know Eric Bieniemy is the play caller, but I don't know how this is going to work. Because there's a lot of mouths to feed, right? Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, McCole Hardman, Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson. Not to mention, you still have your running back you just drafted in the first round in Clyde Edwards-Alaire. So who I think is really just a poor man's version of Le'Veon Bell. Obviously, they're built different, but I'm talking in terms of production. So Built different, LeBron James. Yeah, so I don't know how this is going to work, right? I, I think, again... In theory, on paper, this sounds amazing. You're like, how could this not work? Andy Reid will find a way to get on the ball. I'm just saying, is it going to distract or take away from what they ultimately do as an offense and what they want to do? So I want to circle back to the Jets for just one second. So with the Jets releasing Le'Veon Bell, they only have 35 players on next year's current roster. And if the NFL cap drops to 175, which everyone's predicting with COVID, they're going to have an estimated $81 million in free agency. And when you look at the free agency pool this upcoming season, you'll have Leonard Fournette, Chris Carson, Aaron Jones from the Packers at the running back position. There's wideouts like Allen Robinson, A.J. Green, Marvin Jones, Will Fuller, even Chris Godwin is an unrestricted free agent. And then you look at the offensive line, there's the guard at, uh, in, in sorry, L.A. I always want to say San Diego, but L.A. for the Chargers and Forrest Lamp. Um, and there's a few other tackles, I think Garrett Bowles from Denver. And so there's actually a decent free agent mix. And so, you know, releasing Le'Veon Bell gave them an extra, I think, $8 million in cap space next year. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do from that standpoint. And to your point on the Chiefs, I, I agree. I think, in my opinion, the reason they probably made this move is I don't think Le'Veon Bell 
is going to be this back that's constantly eating in their off in their offense. I think you look at all of the injuries that have happened this season, and they're at a historic pace when you look at all of the guys going down. When you can get a guy like Lev Bell for basically nothing, he's a smart football player. He's played in the league for multiple years. He's been in multiple offenses. He also, for some odd reason, was almost in a running back by committee with Frank Gore. So which is which is absolutely alarming. Um, so when you look at the season, the situation in Kansas City, I don't think he goes there expecting 15, 20 touches a game. I think he's like, you know, they'll probably use me in a third down role. I'll get some, right, right. some runs by the goal line. And if you're the Chiefs, you know, you're getting an extra explosive player for relatively nothing. I think the Golden State Warriors claim is, is odd because I don't think a running back, um, unless you're – Christian McCaffrey and that Panthers offense and the way they utilize him can impact the game like a Kevin Durant. But I think from a star power name, it's interesting to see the guy who everyone thought was probably the best running back in football go to the Chiefs for free. And they won a Super Bowl last year. So you got to give it to them for, for finding a way to sign him. Yeah, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, he got his money in New York, which even going back to that whole situation, he actually was offered by the Pittsburgh Steelers, a bigger contract, more guaranteed money. And you you mentioned this. He overplayed his hand, sat out all of 2017, 2018, 2018, and ends up getting less with the Jets. Could have stayed in Pittsburgh. Could have continued on his maybe potentially Hall of Fame pace. But now, after these two years in New York, or a year and a half, or a year and a quarter, you know, I, I don't know if he messed that up, but... He wants a ring. He got his money at this point in his career. He's 28. You know, I don't think he's necessarily concerned about his legacy in terms of, you know, what's going to be from a football standpoint. So, but we'll get into the pick of the day. And um, you know, look, I, I'm I'm not a fan of this guy. A lot of people like him. I, I don't I don't like who he is on the field, and I definitely do not like who he is off the field. And that's going to be Michael Thomas. So, if you guys don't know, Slant Boy. If you don't know about what happened with Michael Thomas, so he received a one-game suspension following a fight with his teammate C.J. Gardner-Johnson uh, in practice last Saturday. So remember, he's been rehabbing an ankle, a high ankle uh, sprain. And Sean Payton and the coaching staff suspended him for the Monday night game against the Chargers, which he was supposed to play in. And supposedly, he didn't get suspended because of the fight. He actually got suspended because of how he responded to the coaching staff. And he took to Twitter last night, and one of the things he said was, ain't trying to clear no rumors up. So, look, I think we live in this age, and Adam Gase said something about Lev Bell, and I don't ever agree with Adam Gase on anything, but I thought what he said was true. But, it, you know, in th his case, he's lost the locker room, so I guess I understand it. Doesn't mean I agree with it. But we do live in this age where, People take to social media to handle stuff, and I don't think that's leadership. I don't think that's taking responsibility and being a man. Like, if you have an issue, have that conversation internally. But Michael Thomas seems to always take to Twitter with everything, right? And I just think it's coming back to bite him, right? And to me, I, I don't understand why anybody would think he's the top receiver in football. I don't even think he's top five. I think a lot of people, again, this is a perfect, he is a perfect example of the stats era and the fantasy football era because he puts up ridiculous stats within that offense. And maybe even people are like, oh, well, look at the Saints offense now. Look how they're struggling to score points because they don't have Michael Thomas. I'm like, did you watch the Monday night game? Like they had to come back and win that game. But if you actually look at, statistics and you look at the receiving core you have a guy like Sanders who they acquired in the offseason he was with he was with San Francisco last year but they signed him in the offseason hit over 100 yards so it's like I'm not I'm not super concerned that Michael Thomas is going to make that big of a difference he he'll he'll definitely get garner more attention from the defense but I'm just I, I don't understand why everybody's super enamored by this guy and he's super mature so all I say all that to say when you when you decide to act a certain way, when you sow that type of seed into the ground, don't be surprised when the harvest that you reap is what it is. No, I think social media has just killed it for so many athletes because 
never in the history of sports or the world in general do you have this platform where you can speak your mind so freely um, and so instantaneously. I mean, you know, growing up, most of your parents tell you like, hey, you know, don't act strictly on your emotions. And then we invent this thing called Twitter. And what do people do? They act strictly on their emotions. I totally agree with you, Michael Thomas. I think from a talent standpoint, he's definitely a talented receiver. Um, but I think so much of what he does is predicated by Sean Payton and his offensive mind. And I actually think Alvin Kamara is far more crucial to that offense being efficient and playing at its max potential than Michael Thomas. I think he's a nice guy, but there's a lot of guys you could put in that system. Like I think if you put Allen Robinson in that offense, there's not this huge drop-off. They have a similar build, both explosive receivers. I think Michael Thomas is a good route runner, but he's not a he's not a DeAndre Hopkins. He's not a Devontae Adams in my hand. In my eyes, not even a Keelan Allen or an OBJ. So he's a good and he's a he's a number one receiver, but if it wasn't for fantasy football and 120 grabs a year and nine touchdowns, honestly, don't even think he's a number one. Talk about him. Yeah, I don't even think he's a number he, one to receiver. Me, to me, he's like a Juju Smith Schuster. Right, right. There you go. Like a, 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 you know, maybe a one on like to me, Juju's not a, a true one. He's a number one right. at Pittsburgh's offense, but he wouldn't go anywhere and be a number one receiver. I kind of get that same vibe from Michael Thomas, where Juju Schuster is looked in a really high light because he put up really good numbers when he was alongside a number one receiver right. in Antonio Brown. Right. Um, and he's, his career has been a little bit different since then. So for my pick of the day, I'm going to keep it really, really short and to the point. And I am so tired of hearing about how good the Dodgers are, about their roster, and all of that stuff. The reality is LeBron James gets hate for losing the NBA Finals, but he's won a few of them, right? He's, he's won four When of he's them. gotten there, at least. Let me, let me just break this down <laughs> And he's gotten there, right? Let me break this down. The last 10 years, no team in the MLB has had more regular season wins. The Dodgers have had eight straight division title wins. They've had the best record in baseball for two out of the last four series, and they have zero World Series wins. I'm done talking about the Dodgers. Case closed. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, look, as I said earlier in the opening segment, I – Look, you you can't at this point. What do you say? Like, if you're the front office and you're having a meeting, what do you say to each other? Well, hey, let's go get Garrett Cole. Oh wait, uh, the Yankees already did that. Or maybe they go get Trevor Bauer, who's a who's the pitcher, the ace for the Cincinnati Reds, who's a free agent. But what else do you want? There's like you can't you cannot play baseball with that roster. And not at least win a World Series. The Rays, the Rays, man, the Rays of all teams, go look at their roster and their personnel. They have really good pitching. And I've always said this, just like we've talked about in football. I would build my team from a football standpoint. I would build my team from the inside out, meaning on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to build, of course, you need a quarterback, but I'm going to build it through the offensive line, quarterback, and then so on. Defense, I'm going to build it from the defensive line out. In baseball, you build your team from pitching out. And I think because home runs are sexy, you see guys like Bryce Harper get 300 mil. You see guys like Giancarlo Sand get get you know 300 mil. So I'm not a fan of that because home runs don't win me games. They can contribute to wins, but they don't win me games. Pitching wins you games. So I do, you know, I'm not a huge fan of the Yankees and how they operate as a franchise, but signing Garrett Cole to me was a great move because you need pitching and he's an elite front line starter. He's a true number one. He's an ace. So you got to make that move. But I'm in agreement with you, man. I I don't know what else that the Dodgers are going to do going forward to put themselves in a better position to try to win a World Series. I mean, this is, you should win a World Series. They should have won at least at this point. So we're through five weeks of the NFL season. I think there's an alarming amount of teams that are one and four, as well as teams that are four and one. And we're like, whoa, who are these teams? How did they get there? Are they going to be a viable option come December, January? Can they make it to February? Cole and I are going to go through our biggest pretenders and contenders in the NFL. I'm going to kick it off with the Pittsburgh Steelers. So in my mind, this team is a team we both picked to win the division, the AFC North. Um, I don't think it's close. I think they're, in my mind, obviously a contender. I looked up some really interesting stats on them. Top 10 in rushing offensively top 10 and third down conversion which is really important really important to be able to convert third down 
extend drives. They're also top three in time of possession, which I think is really important because they're a team that likes to go after the quarterback defensively. They're a heavy blitz team. Um, They run a lot of zone blitz packages. And so to be able to keep your defense off the field, that way you can maximize their efforts when they're on the field, I think is really important. Another interesting stat I found about them is they've only played four games because they got one game um, put on hold due to the COVID outbreak versus Tennessee, but they still lead the league in quarterback pressures. So they've played one less game than almost every other team, but they lead the league in quarterback pressures. They're tied with the Rams for the most sacks in the NFL, and they have the fourth best rush defense in the NFL. So it's not like they're a team that, you know, teams are running the ball all over them. So they put up good defensive numbers in the pass. They're dominating against the pass. They're dominating against the run. And I think they're a team with Big Ben back. Uh, James Conner looks like he's as healthy as he's been in the last two or three seasons. They're a team, in my opinion, that's primed to make a deep run, not only through the regular season, but I could see them being one of the teams like the Chiefs or the Bills and, and possibly the AFC Championship game. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more here. If you look at their defense at all three levels, so your de- defensive line to your linebacking core to your secondary, they have a B-plus to A-plus talent. Okay, So on the D-line, you've got Cam Hayward. You've also got TJ Watt. Then you go to Devin Bush. Then you go to Minka Fitzpatrick and Joe Hayden. Their defense, to me, watching the games last year, the fact that they were in the playoff hunt on their four-string quarterback in Week 17 – was super encouraging for me going into this year when you were getting Big Ben back. Because even though he's coming off a, a, a catastrophic arm injury, he's a top 15 quarterback of all time. And so you get – I honestly – I was hoping Lev Bell would go back to Pittsburgh, but that obviously didn't happen. And if you really look at their offense, they've done a great job. It's not like they have a ton of talent or a ton of weapons. I mean – Claypool, we actually talked about this, I believe, on episode one or two after the draft. We thought this guy was going to be really good coming out of Notre Dame. And he's proving that he he might be their number one. Not quite yet, or maybe, but I think by the end of the season, this guy is going to be their number one and Juju will be their number two. You know, And look, I think James Conner's a nice player. He's gotten hurt ever since he's essentially stepped onto the field, but... He's a serviceable running back. And so I really like this team. I think that at Ben's age, them being able to play great defense, make a few big plays down the field, is really going to put them in position to to contend. Another contender, I think this one's obvious to everybody, and it's the Kansas City Chiefs, right? So we don't really need to go super in-depth on that one, but I'll just give you a few of my points. Obviously, adding Le'Veon Bell, I still think they're a contender whether they add him or not. He, he doesn't really change my thought process on them. I don't feel like they're any more of a Super Bowl contender than they are because they got Lev Bell. But when you have arguably the best quarterback talent in the NFL with that offense, Andy Reid, the defense will get better as the year goes on. Uh, it's pretty obvious this team's definitely a contender. So another team, in my opinion, that I think is a contender, and I think we may differ on this one, so I'm excited to get your take, but that is the LA Rams. And the reason I think they're a contender isn't because of how well they're playing offensively. It's the defensive side of the ball. And so when you look at this team defensively, they're tied with the Steelers for most sacks in the NFL. They have a top three third down defense. They're giving up the fourth least points in the NFL through five weeks of the season. And they also hold the opponent's to the lowest yards per completion. So when teams are completing passes against them, they're not making deep shots down the field. They're having to drive consistently 10, 12 play drives against this Rams defense. And you have a guy like Aaron Donald wrecking havoc on that offensive line. To me, they're a team that has played better defensively than I think a lot of people want to give them credit for. It's always been this out of the ball where you've been like, you know, there's talent on that on that defensive unit, but if they can ever play as one whole unit, they can really help this team get to the next level. And then when you look at them offensively with Jared Goff, they're a team that's actually stretching the ball down the field vertically. They have the highest uh, percent of completed passes down the field. They have their top five and third down conversion and they're third in rushing. And so they're a team that's dominated on both sides of the football. When you look at the NFC this year, 
because of the injuries, it's kind of a down conference where you've always looked at the NFC and been like, it's the better conference in football. I don't think you can argue about that. But you look at the Niners and their injury situation. You look at what's happening in the NFC least, right, with uh, Dak going down and Philly can't win a game and the Washington football team and the Giants. I think they legitimately have a chance to contend this year based upon kind of the conference as a whole being down. What are your thoughts on them? Yeah, I do disagree, but probably not as big of a disagreement as you maybe initially thought. The only reason I feel that way is I I do think they're a playoff team, but Jared Goff concerns me because even though he's been pretty, pretty good um, throughout the first five weeks of the season in terms of operating that offense in a way that Sean McVay wants him to, I think I think a lot of people thought that last year, because the previous year they went to the Super Bowl, last year they didn't make the playoffs, they still won nine games. And so a lot of people jumped off the Sean McVay ship. And I think, again, being in this era where it's like, what have you done for me lately? If you didn't have a good season or the season you we expected you to have, we're now going to jump ship. Sean McVay is an elite offensive mind. He, he's still like, are we going to jump off the Cal Shanahan train now? Just because he's... They're probably There's not going to be a playoff doing team. That. I think oh, I was I'm listening sure. to ESPN and people were like, you know, everyone was saying that Kyle Shanahan was a top coach in the NFL and now he has no idea what he's doing. It's like, oh, no, you gosh. realize they have six guys on the defensive line who are injured. You realize his starting quarterbacks missed three games. They've gone through four running backs. Their starting receiver missed the first two games. George Kittle's missed time. They've had three injuries on the offensive line. It's like, you can't just look at the wins and losses. It's absolutely ridiculous. It is ridiculous. So going back to the Rams, my concern is still Jared Goff because I don't know who he's going to be down the stretch or in the playoffs. And even I look at week one where they played us, the Dallas Cowboys, You know, I, that game was winnable for us. And we have an absolutely horrific defense. And they were able to run the ball really well on us. And so it opened up the pass a little bit more for Jared Goff. And so... I think when you come, when it comes playoff time, they don't have an elite running back. I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball the way that they've been able to run the ball in the past. And so it might fall on the shoulders of Jared Goff, and I just don't trust him down the stretch. But um, I don't disagree with that pick fully. I, I do think they're they're a good football team. I just don't I don't necessarily think they're a contender. Another team that you actually might disagree with this, and uh, some people might disagree with this, but um, I got the Green Bay Packers as a contender, and and it's pretty pretty plain and simple for me. You have Aaron Rodgers, who I also want to segue into a separate related topic. Look, Patrick Mahomes is an elite talent. This whole notion that we've never seen anything like Patrick Mahomes is completely false. What we haven't seen is we have not seen Patrick Mahomes, his talent coupled with this offensive mind, Andy Reid, and these weapons. We've never seen that collection of talent all work as one. We've seen guys with elite arm talent. Jay Cutler, Matt Stafford. Just these are the couple guys recently, right? I could go into the historic guys, Dante Culpepper, Randall Cunningham, just off the top, right? With mobility, Jay Cutler was really athletic. A lot of people forget that. He was super athletic coming out of Vanderbilt. So it's not that we haven't seen this guy. It's that we haven't seen his talent with this collection of offensive weapons and Andy Reid. And then the other thing is, is he's had a lot of success early, right? So when I say that, I'm not saying I don't think he's the best talent in the NFL right now. I do think that, but I still think there's still a lot for him to learn in terms of the position, okay? When I look at Aaron Rodgers, yes, he's 36, what, 12 years older than Mahomes, but Rodgers was... Mahomes before Raj or before Mahomes. So there was, we, we used to say, you know, go back to his 2011 year where he wins the MVP. A lot of people were like, this is the greatest guy to ever play this game. Like people were just enamored by the throws he could make on the football field. There's, there's not a single throw that Rodgers cannot make on the football field and his ability to escape the pocket, make throws on the run. It was the same as Mahomes, right? It just looked a little bit different just because Mahomes can throw the ball 90 yards. He can do it without looking. Doesn't mean he's better than Aaron Rodgers. Okay. The fact that you have Aaron Rodgers under center, they, he has no interceptions. They're 4-0 right now, and he hasn't had Devontae Adams for the last, to what, three games? With, I mean, literally, go. I said this, what, two weeks ago? Their weapons are guys that have been drafted in the fourth round on. So I, just, I love this team, especially when they get Devontae Adams back. I think they're a real, real threat. 
Oh, no, I 100% agree. I think you can make a case that they're not only a contender, but they're the best team in football. And in my opinion, the reason they're the best team in football is right now I like their defense a lot more than Seattle's. I think we think Seattle's a contender, and it's mainly because of Russell Wilson and the fact that he's going to come back in pretty much every game we see him play. I mean, that comeback drive versus Minnesota. Like, I get why Minnesota went for it on fourth down because you didn't want to give the ball back to Russ, but also if you can get up eight points, you know he's going to score. Um, Horrible call. So, no, but I'm 100% on the Packers. You know, the way Aaron Rodgers is playing, the way they're running the football. I mean, last year they won 13 games, and people were kind of like, oh, they probably overachieved. When you look at it this year, it's like, no, they were just laying down the foundation. They, for the first time in Aaron Rodgers' career, he consistently has a running game and a defense. That's one of the things Tom Brady always benefited from in New England was, you know, he didn't always have the best weapons, but they were a complete team where they were a three-phase football team. Special teams was valued. Defense was valued, and on the offensive side of the football, both the run and the pass game were valued, and then it helped Brady be able to evaluate, it, elevate the people around him, which we've seen with Rodgers. You know, Devonta Adams goes down, and you would think on paper, oh my gosh, they're going to take a huge step back, and they haven't because of how dominant Aaron Rodgers has been. So for me, Seattle, I love them because of Russell Wilson, but I am starting to get scared based upon how bad their defense is. Like, I feel like he can keep them in every game. He's doing things that I can't remember ever seeing so consistently. Like, I realize Patrick Mahomes throws the ball 80 yards. Russell Wilson throws the ball 65 yards on a, on a rope, though. And so it's not like this guy doesn't have arm strength or arm talent. You look at that. Probably the uh, best deep ball thrower in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he the is. balls He's are probably the best so catchable. The, the windows he fits in. I mean, we were talking about yesterday some of the, the some of the best throws in the in the history of football, right? With Eli Manning's throw to Mario Manningham, Ben Roethlisberger to uh, Santonio Holmes in the end zone versus Arizona. It seems like Russell Wilson has this type of throw almost every week. I mean, he had two to DK Metcalf in the end zone uh, to win that game. He, he dropped one of them and then caught the slant. But the defense is starting to scare me really, really bad. Do you think... Russ can overcome the level the defense is playing at. And when I say contender, I mean, do you think they can win a Super Bowl unless their defense starts to turn it around? So they are a contender in your mind right now, or you you are putting them in a pretender category? They're a contender, but if the defense doesn't step up by, say, like week 10... I don't disagree with you. I do think they're contenders because of Russell Wilson. And I think if you have an elite quarterback in the NFL, you always have a chance. But this defense is bad really bad okay they're a bottom two defense in the nfl so that's what makes what russell's doing even more impressive because it's not like they just have all of these offensive weapons right they've had a running back by committee really since i like chris carson he's a nice player but they've had a running back by committee ever since beast mode left marshawn lynch and dk metcalf's in his second year although i love dk metcalf i think dk metcalf has potential to be a true number one And then you have Tyler Lockett. So I don't look at their offense and go, wow, they just have all of these weapons and that's why Russ is doing what Russ is doing. No, Russ is cooking because of Russ. And the fact that this team's 5-0, I understand that the, the Niners are down this year, but they're still in an incredibly tough division, arguably the hardest division in football because the Cardinals are a little better this year. So... Yeah, I, I think that they are because of Russ. But as you said, if we start getting to the latter half part of the season and my eye test tells me their defense is going to be an absolute problem in the playoffs, then I might I might have to to switch them to pretender. But as of as as of the, you know week six, we're going into week six, they're definitely a contender for sure. Another team that I think is a contender are the Bucks. A lot of people might think that's crazy because they're three and two. They lost to the Bears. Again. This is going to take time. This is not going to be something that is going to happen overnight. They shouldn't be 5-0. and I understand that on paper, people are like, oh, this team is so talented. It's the most weapons Tom Brady's ever had. Look, my concern at this point and why they're 3-2 and is their defense. Their defense was, at the beginning of the year, the reason I picked them as my Super Bowl pick from the NFC is because of their defense. They had a potential to be a top five defense in the NFL and the fact that they let Nick Foles just just kind of march down the field on that last drive to essentially get the game-winning field goal, I understand that 
Tom Brady got the ball back and forgot it was fourth down. <laughs> Look, I, I don't know what to say about that. I, I don't think that changes the way I see Tom Brady or this football team. So I just am kind of concerned about how the defense has played down the stretch with the amount of talent that they have. And I like I like Todd Bowles as a defensive coordinator. So they're still a contender in my mind. So switching over to the pretenders, I think this is a team that a lot of people are probably shocked aren't in our contenders. And in my mind, this is the Saints. And they're 3-2 and two right now, and they have Drew Brees. They have Alvin Kamara. They have Sean Payton, right? They have all these names. But you look at their wins, and they beat Tampa week one, where Tampa played absolutely atrocious, right? Uh, Brady threw a pick six. The defense had no idea what they're doing. They had a huge fumble on special teams that got the Saints the ball inside the 20. And then their wins aren't good wins. I mean, they had to come back from double digits against the Lions, right? They lose to the Packers and the Raiders. And so they could very easily not only be an 0-5 team, but even their wins aren't these dominant wins like we've seen from the Saints in the past. And so in my opinion, they're a team who maybe with the extended format has a shot at making the wild card just because there's injuries in the NFC, but I don't see them in any way being a championship contending football team. No disagreement from me. I don't like this team at all. And it's not because everybody's saying Drew Brees' arm strength's not the same. Look, he's 40, 41. Of course it's not the same, but he's still a really good quarterback. He's 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 gonna get you to the playoffs, but I, I just don't like this team. Their defense was supposed to carry them, and their defense hasn't played that well. Obviously, getting Michael Thomas back, could that make a difference? I'm sure it'll make some sort of a difference in that offense, but I, I just don't see this team making any sort of a run. Another team that actually might surprise some people, actually probably will surprise people, that I think is a pretender is the Baltimore Ravens. And so when you look at their offense, I believe Lamar Jackson, their passing offense, is 31st in the NFL. So they're they're not the worst, but they're right there on the cusp of being the worst passing offense in football. As We said this before the season. You can be enamored by his ability to run. You can be enamored by all the stats he put up last year. But the reality is he has not learned how to play the quarterback position. He's not a great thrower of the football. And so – until that changes, you're not going to change my mind on Lamar Jackson as a quarterback long term. You're just not because quarterbacks are not running backs. Quarterbacks are quarterbacks. Their position is to throw the football. That's like asking a goalie in hockey to play right wing. So it's just it's it's not what the position is requiring. Do I do I like him? Yeah, I think he's I think he's got a great head on his shoulders. I think he's a good leader. He's fun to watch. Doesn't mean I think he's a great quarterback. And his team concerns me. I understand they're four and one, but they got absolutely dismantled by the Chiefs. The Washington football team hung around way too long in that game with them. So I don't know what you think about the Ravens, but to me, they're not a team I'm concerned about if I'm in the AFC. The thing that scares me about the Ravens is if you if you get up 10 points on them in the first quarter, the game's kind of over. They're a team where if they get the ball first, they score. You get a three and out, they score again, and they're up 14-0. They're probably right. going to win right. that football game nine times out of 10, but – I think one of the reasons Patrick Mahomes gets elevated to the all-time great, what, three seasons in, is he's shown a historic ability to come back from down Absolutely. 10 points. I forget the exact number, but he's one of the few quarterbacks that has a winning record when down 10 points at half. And that's what you want in your franchise quarterback. And with Baltimore, that's just not how their roster is constructed, and that doesn't play well to Lamar's strength. Lamar is a rhythm passer based off play action and his running ability, right? He's not a guy that's going to sling the ball 50 times down the field and read a defense first. And so, yeah, I, I think that's what scares me, and I think that's the games they've lost have all been the same. It's not like they've lost a few games in a few different ways. Every loss has been consistent. They haven't been up early. They've had to come back, and they haven't yet shown that ability. And until they can do that, you're not convincing me you're going to win a Super Bowl. Another team in my mind that's been really exciting to watch, they've been better than I expected, and both of their losses have been to really good football teams in the Patriots and the Bills. But to me, the Raiders are a pretender this year, even with the big win last week versus the Chiefs. And it's all because of the defensive side of the football. Offensively, they've been explosive. They're second in third down conversion. They're top seven in scoring. Derek Carr, in a lot of people's mind, has played better than I think people thought he could. You know, there's been this 
animosity between him and Gruden because they haven't wanted to throw the ball on the field. You know, you got to give him credit for the fact that he's actually bought into this the uh, the system and he's actually thrown the ball down the field vertically more. But defensively, they're absolutely atrocious. They're tied for third in the third least sacks in the NFL with only seven through five games. So you're what getting a little over a sack and a half a game. They have the eighth worst run defense. They've given up the fourth most points, and so. They're a team where I don't think consistently when you look at their roster, they're going to be a top seven scoring unit when this season's done. I think you also look at the fact that you have some tough games coming up next week with Tampa. You're in a tough division playing the Chiefs. The Chargers are better than a lot of people anticipated. They're a team in my mind where maybe they go eight and eight, which could be a really good season for the Raiders with how they've been historically, but they're not a team even with beating the Chiefs last week. I think people are like, oh, they beat the Chiefs. They're going to be a wildcard team. They could you know, make a run in the playoffs, I still feel defensively they have a big way to go be it before they can win games consistently. Yeah, I think a lot of people that, that counted John Gruden out saying that his style of, of coaching was outdated, I think they're eating their words because he needed time to implement his system. And I think him and Mike Mayock, who their G, who's their GM, done an incredible job. And I love what they're doing offensively. But to your point, their defense is incredibly, incredibly problematic so going forward as a team that could they be a contender if their defense was better i think we would have put them both of us would have put them in but because their defense it keeps them out of there another team that's a pretender might surprise some people are the tennessee titans they're 4-0 they had a big win against buffalo on tuesday night football the thing that again concerns me is that this team is built around the running game and i don't see ryan Tannehill being a guy that can win you a game a lot of people say, hey, come come playoff time. Can you run the football and play great defense? I think that this Tennessee team played zone against Buffalo, and it really changed things up for Josh Allen. He's not quite there from an X's and O's standpoint to where there isn't a defense that is going to trip him up. He So playing zone against him really was a problem. He'll fix that. It doesn't change my mind about Buffalo or Josh Allen, but they just threw him off his game. And – I think, I think Vrabel's going to have this team ready to go come playoff time. I think they're a playoff team. They're just not a team that I'm willing to say right now this team can compete for a Super Bowl. I love everything you said right there. I think the thing that scares me the most about them is, to your point, they're a running football team. Last year, they were third in the league with average yards per carry. So last year, they averaged five yards per carry, where you need 10 yards for a first down. So if you're getting five yards per carry, two runs, and you're getting a first down. This year, they're tied... They're 25th in the league for rushing with 3.5 yards a carry. And so watching Derrick Henry, he's still the big dominant player, but he hasn't had the explosive runs like he had last season. Now, granted, we're only five weeks into the season, and so he may pick that up. But for me, that's scary for a team that is so run dominant. They also aren't getting pressure on the quarterback. And that's something defensively that you have to be able to consistently do. They were towards the upper middle of the pack last year. They only have four sacks this year, which is tied for last in the league. And so in my opinion as well, they're a team that their record makes them look a little better than I truly think they are. Jadavian Clowney's playing himself out of a long-term deal. I mean, no sacks. I, I, I said earlier in the season that the defensive end should be graded on more than just the sacks. He's just too athletic to not have any sacks right now. It's just, to me, I don't see him getting a long-term contract at, at season's end. Yeah, he's a guy in Seattle where he didn't always have the most sacks. He's always been like a complete defensive end where he's played the run well, but the reality is you get you get paid for sacks. And if you're not going to put up those high sack numbers, nobody's going to pay you. So, Two more teams I want to hit on. Cleveland, 4-1. Chicago, 4-1. In my mind, Chicago is completely a pretender. I think Nick Foles elevates them, but I don't think he elevates them to a Super Bowl caliber team or a team that's going to make a deep run in the playoffs. When you look at Cleveland, I'm probably higher on Cleveland. I think the way the coaching staff has really made Baker Mayfield more of a game manager where he's made some big spot throws, but he's not putting the game on Baker Mayfield's shoulders and they're really running the ball. Nick Chubb being out for some limited time is going to be interesting to see the long, long-term effects, but 
it's it's just too soon for me with Cleveland. I can't say they're a contender when historically they've been so abysmal. They've choked in so many big games. Um, I'm excited for this week's matchup because I think it's going to be the first real test for them, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But what are your thoughts on the Bears and Cleveland? Yeah, the Bears are definitely pretenders for sure. I, I don't think they have an elite defense. Nick Foles is maybe a slight upgrade from Mitchell Trubisky. But I don't see this team making any sort of a run long term. I mean, genuinely, I could see this team winning, f- finishing eight and eight. And then with the Browns, I, I actually texted you because you made a prediction before the season that they'd win five games. And I said, how funny, because they're, they're at four right now. So they're four and one, as you mentioned. I said, well, how funny would it be if they actually won f- one more game and then lost out and ended up going <laughs> and, and fulfilling your prophecy? I just think this team. Is it bad for me to hope for that? No, but but when I look at Baker Mayfield, so he's statistically the worst quarterback in the fourth quarter. And to your great point, he is a game manager right now. It, it It's proof that Steven Stefanski does not believe that Baker Mayfield can carry this team. He's been very turnover prone in his young career, and he's continued that into year three. And so when I look at this offense, yes, they can run the ball. Yes, they have a ton of weapons. I think Stefanski's done a much better job with play calling, but Baker Mayfield concerns me. And if you're the worst quarterback statistically in the fourth quarter, that's going to be a massive problem because come playoff time, you're going to have to make some plays. You might not have to carry the team in, in other, like other situations like green Bay, Aaron Rodgers is going to have to carry the team in Seattle. Rose is going to have to carry the team. In this case, you don't necessarily have to carry the team, but you're gonna have to make a few plays and make a few big throws in the playoffs. And I don't trust her, trust Baker Mayfield to do that. So Sunday, we get Brady Rogers for remarkably only the third time in their career, which is absolutely crazy when you think about how long both players have been playing. I mean, that's an absolute travesty. And this might be the last time. Yeah, I mean, it's absolutely crazy. This is only the third time. I mean, I think there's a good chance they may play uh, sometime in February in the uh, NFC Championship. So Ooh, maybe uh, maybe the second to last time, but um, – I. I'm excited for this game because both teams should be back at full strength. Chris Godwin is supposed to be back for Tampa. The Packers are finally getting Devontae Adams back. I think it's a really good test for both defenses where you look at Tampa where at times they've looked like they could be dominant, but they also haven't played Aaron Rodgers. And then to the Packers standpoint, their defense has looked good, but they haven't played an offensive unit as explosive as Tampa has on paper and the ability to be once they develop. So I'm super excited for this matchup. What are your thoughts? First of all, who you got? Uh, I uh, It's tough, man. Um, I, I love Brady. Brady's my boy. Um, I'm going to rep Brady till I die, but I think the Packers are a better team right now. Yeah, they are. I wouldn't be shocked if Tampa won. I think for me, that Bears game – that was really tough to watch. And I realize it was a Thursday night football game. But for me, Tampa's a team where they have two or three really good drives. And, I mean, my boy for getting fourth down, I mean, that kills me. Um, So I, I wouldn't be shocked if Tampa won. But the Packers have looked dominant, and they've been without Devontae Adams. And so I think this is actually a really close game. I think it's probably a three- to seven-point game. I wouldn't be shocked if Tampa won. Um, but I think Tampa is going to be a really good team come, you know, late November, December, January. I think they're still learning. And I think the Packers have kind of, minus that 49ers game last year in the playoffs, they've pretty much been dominant for a year and a half. And I think they continue that on Sunday. Yeah, I think Tampa wins this game. It's definitely going to be closer uh, than people would want to give the Bucks credit for. But this defense is, I believe, going to come back much improved after their their long layoff after Thursday night football against the Bears. And I think Tom, it, it, we saw him on the sidelines. He was pretty pretty fired up at his teammates. I, I just think this is a game where they come back and get a W. But again, to your point, it's going to be a really close game. If the Packers win, of course, I'm not going to be surprised. But I do think Tampa pulls the W off. Another interesting matchup, and we were just talking about this team to watch this Sunday, is going to be the Cleveland-Pittsburgh matchup. And I does... Do we maybe change our do I change my mind about Cleveland after this game if they get the W? Maybe. Um, but again, I still feel them I feel the same way I do about them long term going into the playoffs because of Baker Mayfield. But this is a big matchup for them. Yeah, it's big for both teams. I think for the Steelers, a lot of people could say, like, well, 
how come the Steelers aren't a pretender on your list? Because they've played the Broncos, they've played the Giants, they've played the Eagles, they've played the Texans with minus Deshaun Watson. They're just a really bad football team. The difference, though, is Pittsburgh's been there year in and year out, right? So you know what you're getting with Pittsburgh, where with Cleveland, to this point, they haven't shown it. So I'm actually really excited for this game. I think it's a good litmus test for both teams. If Cleveland's able to go out and win the game, and they don't have to dominate Pittsburgh, but if they can win like they played against the Colts last week and establish the run early, um, I think it can kind of clear things up for a lot of people and at least you know take some of the stigma away from Cleveland. But even Baker Mayfield had some really bad interceptions last week versus the Colts. He's the question mark because their defense has a lot of talent. Now they're not consistently playing great as a unit, but they have the potential to do that. And then they're running the football better than any team in football, statistically speaking. They're having 180 yards on the ground rushing, which in today's NFL, that's absolutely crazy. But Big Ben, he's been there. He's done it. Mike Tomlin, you trust him, the culture, the defense. I think the Steelers make a statement on Sunday. So another great matchup. Can't wait for this one. Kansas City-Buffalo. I've, I've got Kansas City. I think they're going to bounce back strong, and I think Buffalo is going to bounce back strong. It's going to be a really, really close game. I've been really disappointed in Buffalo's defense this year. I really thought they were going to be one of the elite defenses. It's definitely Sean McDermott's strength. He's in a he's an elite defensive mind, and they just haven't played that well. They haven't been horrendous by any stretch, but they definitely haven't been the defense we've come to know with Buffalo. So I think Kansas City is going to pull this one off, but I think it's going to be closer than people think. Yeah, 40-plus points versus Tennessee on Tuesday night. I mean, at least we got a Tuesday night football game, but 42 points against that offense, that was alarming. I think if the NFL had a most improved player like basketball, Josh Allen would win it this year. I mean, the the year he's having at least through five games, he's looked explosive. Both teams had horrible losses last week where you look at the Bills to Tennessee and then even the Chiefs. Yes, it's a division game, but you you got to beat that Oakland team. You know, you're not you can't let the Oakland team put 40 points on you and, and lose that game. So, I think both teams come the back. Ve- the Las Vegas. Oh, sorry, the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, <laughs> we got we too can, many too many changes it's in names tough, man, this especially year. to these like when you look at a team like the Raiders who've been in Oakland for so long, um I know. It's tough to remember. You know, we have we have teams changing names like the Washington football team, but back on this matchup, I think both teams come out focused after last week's performance, but Although I like Buffalo, and I think they're a team that has a chance to compete in the AFC Championship game, and if everything starts working for them, maybe make the Super Bowl. They were a team that you said, dude, if they would have got Le'Veon, could you imagine how explosive they could have been? Because that's the one gap in their offense is an absolute playmaker at the running back position. But I just I can't see – I don't know if Patrick Mahomes has ever lost two games in a row, and I just don't see it happening this week. So – I love this Baltimore-Philly matchup. I know that a lot of people have jumped ship on Carson Wentz. They've jumped ship on Philly. And I, as you know, as a Cowboys fan, I loathe the Philadelphia Eagles. I think Philly wins this game. I, I really do think it's a trap game for Baltimore. A lot of people are going to say on paper, there's no way Philly has a chance based on how they played. But they played pretty good last week against a really, really, really good Pittsburgh Steelers team and defense. I think it's a trap game. There, I would not be surprised if Philly pulls this game off. So I'm going to go with Philly this week against Baltimore. No, I totally feel the same way because what does Baltimore do really well? Get pressure on the quarterback. What does Pittsburgh do really well? Get pressure on the quarterback. And yes, Carson Wentz was thrown like a rag doll on Sunday's game, but they were still in that game. You know, they still put up 30 points against the Steelers defense. I think they're going to be able to limit Lamar's ability to pass the football and the part of Philly's defense which has been so atrocious this part of the season is their passing defense they've actually had a decent running defense and so I think when you look at the matchup Baltimore's four and one they believe they're a contender I feel like Philly's a team they're probably going to overlook Philly because of how the NFC East is playing are still in contention to, to make the playoffs and win that division so I think they look at this game we're going to really find out who Philly is in the next two or three weeks of the season, but I think I think they have a good chance to beat a Baltimore team who's not going to give them the credit they deserve. I agree. I can't wait for this matchup. It's going to be fun to watch. Are people going to finally get off this narrative of Carson Wentz can't play quarterback? Because if he has a big game this week, that's a good that's a good Baltimore defense. So I think he could change some narratives this weekend. So that's going to wrap things up for episode 46 of the DNC Podcast. Thank you for tuning in every week on Monday and Friday. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Share it with your friends. Share it with your family. 
Follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at DNC Podcast. Be sure to engage with us on there. Ask us questions. Give us topics. We really want to be engaged with our community, and you guys have been amazing so far. So we just want to continue that trend, and we'll definitely give you a shout-out on the show if you have a topic that you have or that you want us to cover. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you guys Monday. Peace.